with everything going on in the world and me being busy and life being frantic, I think it would be beneficial to me to take a look at the words of King David, who really knew how to give thanks and praise to the Lord. Um, in my mind and in my personal reading, I am always struck by, by the writings of King David um, and how he could express thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. And so if I could get you guys to turn to Psalm 138, that will be our text for today. If you're using the Pew Bible, that'll be page 488. Um, we're not going to have any fancy slides today. I just didn't do it. Uh, put this together uh, last night. So you get what you get, guys. So, uh, but let's turn to Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let us bow before the Lord. Heavenly Father, again, we praise you and thank you that we can come here today and, and, and read your words, Father. Um, Lord, you know that the the words of, of your servant David have always been powerful to me, Lord. They they move me in a mighty way. And um, I uh, I pray that that as we dig into this this truly ancient text, Lord, that you inspired, that you had put down on paper and and preserved all these these many years, Lord, for our benefit for our salvation, for our edification, Lord. We ask you to do just those things, to do a work in us, to teach us, to instruct us, teach us about your glory, your greatness, your saving hand. Teach us how to praise you like David did, Lord. Teach us how to have a grateful, humble heart before you, Father. Lord, I pray that uh, these good folks here will hear not a peep from me, but a word from you, Lord. And it is in your son's name I pray. Amen. So what I thought we would do today, we're going to, if we, if I had some time, we could probably do a full and 
and uh, and really exhaustive exposition of this and really break it down. But what I propose we do today, I always like to give you guys a roadmap. What I, what I propose to do is I want to draw your attention to three aspects of this psalm. Three. I want you to look at it from three different angles. And um, and then what I'd like to do is I want to extend an encouragement, two encouragements and one exhortation to you from that. Sound like a deal? All right. As I said, I find the words of King David very meaningful and, and very powerful. And um, I wanted to really get my heart in line for the holidays if that makes any sense i uh, i could think back and i like to tell people i have the short-term memory of a betta fish it just doesn't exist so but i seem to remember these three or four moments these three or four holidays when i was either sitting at the table or uh laid back on the couch digesting and just i remember the lord filled me looking at my family my beautiful family, my not so beautiful family. No, I'm kidding. I know my mom is watching, so I had to throw that in there. But um, uh, looking at my beautiful family, digesting the food, and just being filled with a gratitude that extended every ounce of my being, every every fiber. I was just just so grateful to be there in that moment, to be surrounded by my family, to be full of great food. Um. And I thought, I'm not feeling that yet, Lord. I feel a little crazy, a little hectic. And um, and so when Pastor asked if I would if I would be willing to to share a word, frankly, I was looking for something for myself. <laughs> and uh, the Lord led me to this psalm, and um, and it was really meaningful for me this week. And uh, so I want to share some of that with you. First, I would ask you to look at, uh, well, uh, first I'll say this. We don't know when this psalm was written. We could take some guesses. Um, we could maybe jump to some conclusions, but we just don't know. There's not enough in the text to tell us definitively when this was written and some of the specifics are are lost to us. Uh, I will tell you that this is um, uh, one of the last, not the last, but we're getting toward um, the end of the section of uh, Psalms that are credited to David. Um, he may have written more, but scholars will say in, in the next couple Psalms are some of the last that we can uh, clearly credit to David and the book's almost over. So, you know, but um, this is considered a later Psalm of his as well. Again, we don't know exactly when it was written, but before we get started, let's take a minute to recall what we know of King David and his life. Um, I think all of us, would agree that while it would be wonderful to see the the felling of Goliath and that amazing victory and maybe to watch King David um, take out a lion as a young man, 
or a bear with a sling. Um, that would be truly amazing. I don't think any of us would want to have lived David's life. If we really think about what he went through, he spent nearly, uh, from the time he was a young man until he ascended to the throne, he spent several decades at war and on the run. At war and on the run. It's something that gets lost in the um, the little children's picture books and maybe some of our Sunday school classes is that David was at war and his nation was under siege for much of his life. But not only that, he also faced a threat from within. King Saul sought to take his life. The one-time hero of the kingdom was uh, seen as a threat by King Saul, and Saul sought his life and chased him all over. Uh, David even spent a time in the land of the Philistines, his enemy, fighting wars alongside and for them. So we can imagine, uh, we don't have to go into detail, but we've all lived in a post 9-11 world. We, we all watch the news. We have a sense of, if not experiential knowledge, of the horrors of warfare. That was David's life for much of his life, from a young age. David also buried several of his children. He had to bury several of his children. Yes, he was king. Yes, it's sometimes good to be king. Yes, he was well-respected. He even called him a man after God's own heart. He went through great trauma in his life. Trauma that maybe you and I, maybe you listening have experienced warfare, the death and the burial of, of children, maybe the, the estrangement of family. Um, there is uh, some who may look at David's childhood and, and may conclude that he was a, I don't know if there's a case for this. I've heard it said, maybe he was a neglected child. I mean, I don't know. Needless to say, David saw a lot of trials and tribulations. And yet, as we look at this, we see a grateful man, full of praise, ready to worship his God. And so, and you'll find that time and time again in the Psalms. And I want to dig into that. I want to understand some of that. And maybe we can scratch the surface of this. So first, I would call your attention in Psalm 138 uh, to the quality of David's worship, to the quality of his worship. What do I mean by that? Well, first off, in the first line, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. His wholehearted, uninhibited, genuine praise and worship of the Lord. 
That's what that phrase means. This is not an act. This is not a put on. It means every fiber of his being he's putting into this. We've seen this before. If if you have read the 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 account, the history of King David, um, you've seen this before. I would direct you to Second Samuel six, a very famous example of this. What is this wholehearted, this wholehearted thanks, this wholehearted gratitude, this wholehearted worship of the Lord look like? Well, I would present to you as an example, 2 Samuel 6. Um, we'll pick it up in 14, but a little background. The Ark of the Covenant is finally returning to Jerusalem, and David is excited. David is so excited to have the Ark of the Covenant um, return. I'll pick it up actually in verse 11. And when those who bore the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Oh, sorry. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. So here we have a picture of King David, the most powerful man in the realm, a valiant war hero, a distinguished man, husband, father, dancing downtown in celebration of the return of the Ark of the Covenant. So when David says, I will give thanks with whole heart, it's not an act. It's not just a, a phrase he's throwing out. I would submit to you that this is an example of wholehearted thanks and gratitude and praise and worship. That moves into the next quality I want you to observe about his worship. That it is bold. It is fearless. I've heard some say that the linen ephod was a little tiny dock, uh, garment. And, uh, you know, his ankles were showing. And so that was a bit undignified. Um, but even here in our text, he says... Before the gods, I sing your praise. Small g. First off, is, is David saying that he believes that there are other gods? No. No. And I would direct you to the rest of Psalms in which he repeatedly, repeatedly says, you are the one true God. You are the only God. There is no God before you. But what he is saying here is that he doesn't care what others believe. He, you could imagine him on his throne seeing dignitaries from all over the world, more powerful nations than he, who worshipped foreign gods, declaring the worth, the wonders, the exclusivity, the, the great power of Yahweh. In a culture where uh, 
we live in a society that that claims to be atheistic, that says they don't believe in gods, um, while simultaneously making um, science and their their own desires their god. But nonetheless, they they claim to be atheistic. But in David's day, uh, everyone believed in gods. Everyone had their own god. And if your nation was doing well, well, certainly your god was more powerful. Your nation state, the the uh, condition of your kingdom was a reflection of the power and magnitude of your God. And David says, I don't care about any of that. I will declare Yahweh's worth before all the gods, before all the rulers. It's bold and fearless. And it is humble. It is humble. We have to jump around a little bit in the text to see this, but we see him bowing toward the holy temple. A little further down, he counts himself among the lowly. He says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. And then he goes on to show that the Lord has regarded him, but he sees himself as lowly. Also, he credits the preservation of his life, his deliverance, his continued existence, not to his considerable intellect and military prowess. And don't miss this. David was an incredibly intelligent man. And he was a brilliant military leader. And he was a good king. But he takes none of the credit for this. He credits all these to the mighty hand of Yahweh. So his worship is complete. It is wholehearted. It is bold and fearless. And it is humble. I would direct your attention to make a further case for this humility before the Lord. Turn over, if you would, to Psalm 131. I think this gives a, a flavor of David's reverence and humility before the Lord. A song of a sense of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I chuckle when I read that passage because my mother, um, if you're listening, I remember this, mom. Um, she used to direct me to that when I was bouncing off the walls and says, you need to be, you need to study to be silent. I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard, mom. And then she would take me to Psalm 
131. I'm like, oh, bummer it is there. But um, I think that gives us a beautiful picture of his humility and, and we'll get to this, his bold confidence in the Lord. And while I know we're moving fast, fear not. We will dig into these things a little bit more as we go. But so um, we see the quality of his worship, this complete, wholehearted, uninhibited, genuine worship that extends to every fiber of his being, as we saw in 2 Samuel, leads him to dance in the streets in celebration of what the Lord has done. He is bold and fearless. He will declare the name of the Lord in front of all the gods, all the powers, all establishments, if you will. And he is humble before his God, directed toward the temple. I would also say it is properly directed. It kind of goes without saying, but it's properly directed. Um, he says, towards, I bow down to your, towards your holy temple. David, while he was a powerful king, an God's anointed king, and while he was also a prophet, one who brings a word from the Lord, we, we could see that in the Psalms, he was not a priest, and he knew that. He could not enter into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. Instead, he was directed, like the rest of Israel, to worship towards the holy temple. He does not raise himself up, does not assert himself in that manner, and his worship is properly directed toward the temple. So when we look at these things, to me at least, um, It begs the question, what is the cause? What is the case for David's worship? This must flow out of something. And so he identifies five items here. And I would have you look at these, the case for David's worship. First, God has exalted his name and his word. And I'm listing these in no particular order, uh, just so you know. Um, I bow down towards your holy temple, verse 2, and give thanks to you, to your name and to your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. David's praising the Lord because... He has exalted the Lord's name, the Lord's word, not David's name, not David's words or decrees, but the Lord's words. And this is one of the, the reasons that David is identified as a man after God's own heart. Uh, in Acts 13, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. The cry of David's heart is that God's name, God's word, God's 
will will be exalted, not himself. So I present to you reason number one why David is full of praise and worship for his God is because God has exalted his name and his words above all the earth, above all things, your name and your word, the name of Yahweh and his words. Again, I know I'm moving quickly. We're going to dig into a little bit of application of this a little later on and uh, tie it in to ourselves here. Um, second, on my list, but actually it was the first thing named in the text, is his steadfast love and faithfulness. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to you, to your name, for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I think it's worth noting, and I think this also speaks to his humility, that if we reflect on what we talked about of all that David had been through, he did not grumble and complain here that he was not king or why did I have to go through that? Or I deserve better than this. God, you promised me things. Why did you have to put me through this? Where are you? Where is your love? No, David looked back at his life at this moment when he wrote this and credited the Lord with steadfast love and faithfulness. All that he had been through. In David's mind, that was not a reflection of God's unfaithfulness or that his steadfast love had failed. No, David was confident in his God, in his steadfast love and faithfulness. Did you ever see the Jimmy Stewart movie, Harvey? Imagine a six, so six foot white rabbit. Just came in. So sorry, squirrel. So his steadfast love and faithfulness. Also, as we read down, verse seven, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Again, reflecting on David's life, he was praising the Lord because he was still alive. You have preserved my life, Lord. I don't deserve this. You preserve my life. I don't want to jump ahead on the script here to application, but when was the last time you just praised the Lord? Because I'm just still here, Lord. I mean, if you'd known me when I was a teenager, you'd probably, probably say that too. I can't believe you're still here. David is, is praising the Lord for the preservation of his life. Again, I would suggest to you that speaks to great humility. Another one here. Answered prayer. Verse 3, on the day that I called you, you answered me. 
He didn't say that the prayer, that the answer of the prayer was yes or no. He just said, God answered me. Now, the assumption is he answered him in the affirmative. But when was the last time you praised the Lord for just a definitive answer to a prayer? And again, his regard for the humble of which he named himself, the lowly, I should say, the lowly, the unworthy. This is King David who slew the giant with a sling, who conquered the Philistines, who escaped the mighty King Saul, who, who don't be mistaken, was also a great military leader. Saul may have been disobedient and stubborn to the Lord, but he was not ignorant. He knew what he was doing with a sword. David outwitted him. David faced starvation, many trials. He's victorious. He's just sitting on the throne of Israel, and he counted himself among the lowly, the unworthy to be regarded by God. These, this is the case, the cause, if you will, of David's worship. God's steadfast love and faithfulness, the exaltation of his name and word, of God's name and God's word, the preservation of David's life, answered prayer, and his regard for the lowly. I would also point out to you in verse 7, you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. He's not complaining that God didn't destroy his enemies, and he's not even saying that God destroyed his enemies. He's just saying that he blunted their wrath, and he is grateful for that. He says, you, you blunted their wrath, where I may cross my arms and stamp my feet and say, Lord, why did you not destroy them? David says, thank you, Lord. I praise you. I extol your name. You have blunted their wrath. I found that very powerful. And finally, as we consider this, sir, I would ask you to look at the confidence of David. First, uh, in verse 4, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. If faith truly is the evidence of things unseen, then we're seeing great faith in David for a thing that even you and I have not seen yet. David is so confident in God and knows his word, has hidden God's word in his heart. He knows that there will come a day, there will come a day, and that is, we'll get to that later, that is prophesied in Revelation 21, 24, when all the kings of the earth will praise God's name. 
He's confident of this. There's no doubt in his mind. He, he wrote it down. You know, if you want to make a prediction, I think we all make predictions, right? But when you're really certain, you write it down. Right? Say, so you care to, sir, do you care to make a prediction on the election? Well, no comment at this time. David says, no. There will come a day when all the kings of the earth will praise him. He's also confident that the Lord, in verse 8, will fulfill his purposes to him. He's confident of this. The Lord's purposes will be fulfilled in spite of the Philistines, in spite of Saul, in spite of David. The Lord's purposes will be fulfilled. He is confident of this. And he is confident, again, that his steadfast love endures forever. And then finally, he has one request, one request at the end. He says, do not forsake the work of your hands. He identifies himself not as King David. Do not forsake your anointed king. Do not forsake your champion of battle. He says, no. I am identifying myself as the work of God's hands. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. Again, we could... And I might do this. We could go, if I had some more time, I would take and really break this down line by line, verse by verse, and do a really uh, full service to this passage. We've kind of jumped around. But what I would like to do with our remaining time is tie this into the New Testament some and, and just give you really two encouragements and one exhortation. Two encouragements and one exhortation. Sound like a deal? Well, it's what you're getting anyways. So, <laughs> My first encouragement to you um, – well, first we'll ask a question. How had in David's life God exalted his name and his word? Well, we could go back through the text and – and look at his mighty work of creation. We could look at the deliverance of the people of Israel. First, raising a nation up out of the dust and sand and of Egypt, from Jacob's people, Jacob's family, and then leading them miraculously to the promised land. Any number of, of instances, clearing, clearing the way, the fall of Jericho, the miraculous work of all the prophets, the rise of King David, the falling of Goliath, the defeat of the Philistines, who, by the way, up until recently, their very existence was debated by historians. And yet at the time of King David, they were one of the most powerful armies around. 
God has had exalted his name and his word in all those ways. But I would say to you that God has exalted his name and his word in no greater way than in the person of Jesus Christ. We have, we read this earlier. I'll read it again. There's so many passages I could go to uh, for this, but well, you're getting Philippians, okay? Getting Philippians too. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord with one another and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted on him, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, if David had a case to say that God had exalted his name above all things, you and I are left without excuse. Jesus Christ, God himself, came in flesh and suffered death for you and I. For you and I. For you and I, the lowly. God does regard the lowly. And we see it in no fuller way than in Christ Jesus, who died for my sins, spared me from the wrath of God. Because, make no mistake, that day that is coming when all the kings will praise God, that comes after he has judged the world. And those who have rejected the Son have perished, have been thrown into eternal judgment. They rejected Christ. They don't want Christ. They don't get Christ. That being said, I get to the exhortation. First, let's turn to 1 Peter. First Peter 5. We'll pick it up 
We'll pick it up in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's a lot to be, that could be said here, but let me say this. First off, we're looking at this Psalm of David. We see the joy, the gratitude, the confidence in salvation, brothers and sisters. The very first key to this is if you have not humbled yourself and bowed your knee to Jesus Christ in repentance, do it. You don't own your next breath. You do not own your next breath. If you're here today because you're, or you're watching online because you're unsure, you're, you're just curious and there's something there that interests me, your own soul is testifying to the fact that this is true and you need to repent. Very rocks and trees and sky testify to the mighty hand of God. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that. You know that. You want to have confidence in your, in like King David? You want to be secure? absolutely secure and confident like King David, I think he would agree with me. Humble yourself now and repent of your sins. Brothers and sisters, maybe you're sitting there saying, amen, yes, I did that. This text was written to the church. Brothers and sisters, maybe we need to humble ourselves to each other. Maybe we need to humble ourselves to the reality that's staring us in the mirror that says, you ain't all that. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as right as you think you are. Maybe, brother, sister, you need to humble yourself and go ask your brother or sister for forgiveness. Maybe you need to humble yourself and ask God for forgiveness for what you thought or said this morning or did. Maybe we need to humble ourselves and say, I need help. I need a doctor. I, I really am sick. Or I, I, I need help with my finances, with my marriage, with talking to my neighbor, 
but a pride. Satan has so messed with our mind and, and filled us with sinful pride that we can't just be honest. Brothers and sisters, if you are stewing in sinful pride and it is holding you back from doing what you know is right, and if Satan really is a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour, may I suggest to you, you have laid yourself out like raw hamburger on the Serengeti. Brothers and sisters, let's, just, let's let this be the day that we bow our knee and say, I'm wrong and you are right, Lord. Oh, that will be a day for, cel for celebration. That will be a day to dance in the aisles. That will be a day. That will be a day. We need to be about repentance. King David could humble himself. Jesus Christ humbled himself. Son of the living God humbled himself to death. I can go to Scott and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I can go to my wife and say, you're right. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And finally, know that those who have humbled themselves before God in repentance, accepted salvation, have, have come into the fold. He will complete the good work that he has begun in you. And he will answer your prayers. He will. And I want to share with you, if, if you've been in Sunday school, you've heard this passage a couple times, but it is one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of prayer answered. And it is in Revelation chapter 8. And we will just read this and we will close with that and know that this is your God hearing your prayers and answering them. Revelation 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. That's your prayers being presented before God. You and I, the lowly, our prayers before God. Here's our prayers getting answered from God's perspective, from heaven's perspective. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. 
And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. Those are the prayers of the saints being answered. So, brothers and sisters, I hope these things bury themselves deep in your mind and your heart as we go into this holiday season, as we go into the rest of the year. We can have the confidence. We will be a confessing people. We will be a repentant people filled to overflowing with the glories of the name of Yahweh, the message of his gospel, and a confidence that he will bring to completion the good thing that he has begun. So we'll close with that. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer.